0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I'm John A. You see him pronouns. Let's start by reading some scripture, shall we? We need several volunteers. We're in Psalms, the Psalms, okay? And there's as many... Look at this. See, can you see the different colors? Okay. All right. I know. So, it's two paragraphs at a time, two stanzas at a time. So, that's one way you can see it, but it's also very poorly colored and you might be able to notice the colors. Donovan, this all looks the same to you? Except for the right side. What looks the same? Donovan's colorblind, sorry. Left side. Yeah, left side. (laughs) He has to play high contrast Wordle. Um, (laughs) I should do it in solidarity with you okay (laughs) brother all right (laughs) any volunteers first two paragraphs Sarah will you start us off and then distribute the microphone to the people and on zoom raise your hand and speak out if you want to see it maybe you can see it more clearly on zoom in fact the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Mm -hmm. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high up, up on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above all my enemy, above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Lord what I try Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies, do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amy, you have a great reading voice. Let's pray as we keep going. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lent is about making ourselves vulnerable to the frailty, to the weakness, that's within us, it's vulnerability to our human condition. Lent helps us remove the armor that we wear, the guardedness that we have. And let's God touch touch us where it hurts. We not only see where we've fallen, where we've made a mistake, where we've missed the mark, but also our very limitations. How we can't hold it all together. How we need people. How we need God. How we need love. It lets us, it gets us in touch with where we lack and what we need. We can finally be open about our own limitations. Scary to be that vulnerable. So our Lenten fasts, which maybe you're participating in, serve as penitence for our sins, yes. But also as a way to make us vulnerable to our own neediness. We get in touch with our pain and we see how that pain has made us act in harmful ways, in ways that feel feel unusual to us or new to us. We become gracious with ourselves instead of condemning ourselves as we follow in the way of the vulnerable, wounded Lord to death. Let me say that again. If vulnerability in confession to our weakness leads to personal condemnation, we're missing the point. We are vulnerable because we are forgiven, we are vulnerable because we are loved. We're vulnerable so that we can love, so that we can be fully ourselves. We can admit when we've messed up to ourselves and to God because we know we'll be accepted. That assurance helps us to confess. And when we don't feel that assurance, it's harder to confess. We're afraid to confess. We think we'll be judged. So we hold those things inside of us. And that's okay. You need safety to be vulnerable. We want to create an environment where you can feel that safety, where you can be vulnerable. Lent is about removing the things that we think protect us, but actually do not. I want to be clear about this because it relates to all sorts of things that we've been struggling with as a community for the last couple of years and as a world too because it could relate I mean some people we said last week early in the pandemic some people said the Lord is my refuge and my rock and I don't need to wear a mask you know what I mean like that, that the, the assurance of the safety and salvation of God should not lead to reckless behavior removing what protects us is not about you know, driving drunk or without a seatbelt or opposing vaccinations or not masking when it's appropriate to mask. And there may come a time where it's safe for us to unmask, maybe even next week. But our call to vulnerability is not a call to recklessness or danger. It's a call to trust in God and not ourselves. A call to let go of the things that keep us from trusting God. To let go of the things that We put our trust in. God is jealous for our trust. What do we put our trust in that isn't God? It's not an opportunity for reckless or dangerous behavior. It's not an opportunity to endanger ourselves. But rather to know that in our vulnerability God will protect us. It's an invitation to weakness. It allows us to enter our lowliness, our frailty, our incompleteness. We don't have to protect ourselves because we can be vulnerable and God will protect us. God is the protector and the redeemer of the poor and the oppressed. Let us enter into our collective impoverishment and oppression and allow God to redeem and transform us. Let's follow in the way of Jesus, in the way of the cross, taking up ours. In order to be transformed, let go of the excesses that keep us protective whether it's our egos, our armor, our wealth, our race, our gender, our orientation, our bodily ability, the treaty organizations that we're part of, and move with Jesus to become lowly, trusting that God will guide us. It is in that spirit that the Psalm that we read is written. It is written for oppressed people, for lowly people. We need to assume that posture to understand it. People with genuine enemies, people that are afraid of neighboring empires that loom over their small nation, their unprotected nation. Israel doesn't have a big military. It doesn't have brutal force. It wasn't even supposed to have a king for a while. This lowly, humble people that was born out of liberation, emancipation is how Israel was born. Yeah, they're oppressed, they're afraid, they're small. We read it in that lens. Some people, because these psalms were sung and read over generations, some people found themselves in captivity reading these psalms. Jesus read these psalms too. Jesus recited them and called God to protect him under Roman captivity. And they did the same under a Babylonian captivity or Assyrian captivity, Egyptian captivity. The psalms have been read across generations and time. And though they bring comfort to the afflicted, they can bring comfort to us. They can invite us to enter into our affliction so that we can be saved. As we see, as we see who they were written for and who was encouraged by them, let's find our own weakness. Let's find our own affliction. We can let our guards down and allow God to protect us. The psalm this week, one psalm of David, King David starts with his strong proclamation of God's light, God's salvation or God's rescue and asks the rhetorical question, whom shall I be afraid of? It, gets, it asks us to get in touch with our fears. You're allowed to expose yourself, to expose what you're afraid of, what you're worried about, what you're anxious about, and trust that God will protect you. Vulnerable work, but knowing where we are afraid helps us know how to trust God, as the psalmist says. What is God saving us from? What are we afraid of? This is an invitation to explore that for ourselves. The psalmist is also familiar with their enemies, something we all need to be familiar with. You can't love your enemies if you don't know who they are. And as Christians, we will get enemies. We'll behave in ways that collect the attention of the authorities and of the powers So don't ally with those authorities and powers, love them. (laughs) He is assured that God will cause all of their enemies to stumble and fall. So we can love our enemies as Christians, but we can also name the truth about how they oppress us, how they are our enemies. The psalmist is conscious of their enemies, the armies that surround them, the wars that rise up. They find their confidence and will not be afraid. They can resist evil because God will protect them. They can be courageous in its face because they know God is with them. The psalmist asks God to live to live in the the house of the Lord in communion, in community with God. We make our communion with God, our community. We abide in God as God abides in us, as God makes an abode in us. We make a home in God. He asks to worship God in the temple and to find emotional and spiritual and political refuge in it. How our churches should be safe places for the weak and the vulnerable. When you come to worship, you should be safe. You should find safety, find sanctuary. And too often, they are places that don't do that. They they don't protect the oppressed, they further oppression. They're not safe. They're the the opposite of safe. They're dangerous. We can't have that as a community. Rooting out homophobia and white supremacy and ableism in our community makes it safer. The church is not safe for the oppressor. It is safe for the oppressed. And it's an invitation for the oppressor to transform, to change. Everyone's welcome. Welcome. Some people are gonna have to walk a little bit longer though. God hides with us in the days of our uh, despair and death. God covers us when we need protection. God lifts us high out of harm's way. God is like a security blanket any of you, if you're like me, you sleep with the blanket on top of you even when it's hot out. You wanna be covered. I like to have my door closed at night. Don't want anyone coming in. Wanna be protected. These things matter. We want that assurance, God is with us. God is close to us. someone to confide in, someone to trust in, someone to tell our secrets to, someone who will hold us and know us and see us and love us, even when the world doesn't, even when you don't, when you aren't understood by the world. God knows you. God understands you. God made you. You're safe with God, no matter what you've done or where you've been. God is someone to share our deepest selves with and also to deepen ourselves with. As we become familiar with our own pain, we deepen how we're abiding in God's love, in God. And as God lifts us up, we can shout and sing loudly with confidence and allow our enemies to hear us. We don't hide away, we can worship loudly and relate to God publicly with no fear. It's a little bit difficult to imagine that in the United States. In the US, we have freedom of religion. So you can be free and freely express your religion, right? Um, But there's fear genuinely for some religious communities to be open about their faith without being harmed. Christian supremacy still dominates the United States. And so if you walk around and you're conspicuously Jewish or conspicuously Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist, you can expect something back. Antisemitism and Islamophobia are scourges that are still real in the United States. Anti-Semitic crime has increased dramatically since 2016 It's interesting we're reading a Jewish song. He's talking about proclaiming as a Jew without fear. Be sensitive to when we make it harder for people to do that. We have freedom of religion in the United States, which permits us to worship tricky business when freedom of religion is what permits you to worship because it is that freedom that supersedes your God because it permits you. We beg the state for the rights that we have. God wants to be above that. I can relate to this in such a way actually because as a youngster, my parents are from Egypt. Egypt's a Muslim theocracy, theocracy kind of Fairly secular. It's not as theocratic as other nations. It's a military dictatorship, though. Safest for Muslims, not that safe for Christians. They were repressed as Christians. And some of them, my mother, if you ever meet her, and you should, she has a cross on her hand, conspicuously showing that she's a Christian, loudly proclaiming her faith in an area where well, you can't. And 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 some Christians name their children conspicuously Christian names. Jonathan for example, that's a Jewish name, but my name is Jonathan, my dad's name is Samuel, my sister's Deborah, my mother is Rebecca, all these biblical names. So people know. So that we're not afraid. It's hard to do that in the US. We learned to code switch. Act white on the phone. I remember my sister doing this. She'd, we'd be in the mall or something, and she'd code switch right in front of me. And I was like, "Why are you talking like that? Why'd you change? Why'd you stop? Why are you acting?" I said, "You're not being you. You're being someone else. That's just as odd. This is weird that you're doing that. They don't understand that you're you're forced to conform." So my father, of course. Enjoyed the religious freedom he had here in the Christian solidarity, and it wasn't the religious freedom that gave him protection It was the fact that Christians was the dominant faith Christianity was the dominant faith in the US, so He found political um, his, his experience as a religious minority informed his politics in the United States Of course my experience as an ethnic minority informed mine We all get to the places we need to get for a reason. They moved to the US and they can enjoy their religious liberty and my dad would always do this. You know, I, I don't even remember what the prayer was. It was the same prayer every time and he'd yell it basically, loudly. We're at Ponderosa or something like that, you know? And he'd yell it out loud so that people could hear that he was a Christian. He said I do it to witness but I think he also did it because he could. And he could do it without fear. And I thought it was obnoxious as a child. In some ways I still do because like, Christianity is so dominant in the United States, but for him it was a moment to say who he was without without fear. So, you know, respect that. I see you, I know what's happening. I got it, you know. There's something about being able to shout in front of your oppressors that is so satisfying. The psalmist goes on, he asks for help. It's a prayer for God to help when we are distressed, to seek God's face, to worship when we're distressed, to have God turn God's face to us. The psalmist is pleading for God's help, for God's faithfulness. And and, And the line is... Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. It is a big deal that he says that because parents aren't supposed to do that. They're not supposed to forsake their children. We make sacrifices for our children to make their lives okay. And if you betray your kids, you're, doing, you're, you're violating an, an old commandment here. But even... When our parents betray us. And they will. They will hurt us. And we will hurt our children too. The Lord will be. This is the strongest declaration of trust in the Bible essentially. Because it's breathtaking. It's heartbreaking when the bonds of family are broken. God is still faithful. Our parents... And I mean this biologically, yes, but our spiritual parents too aren't supposed to forsake us. But when they do, God will be faithful. I want to reassure us that even if the people we trust to forsake us, they cut us off, they forget about us, they turn their backs on us. Even the people that we looked to to love us and to nurture us, when they do that, God won't. And this is hard to understand. Too often our image of God is, is, is one of our earthly parents projected onto a heavenly one. For the longest time, I could not do our father who are in heaven because dad was there. It's getting a little better now. Let's relate to God in a new way and create a community where that radical trust can be fostered. In the final section, the psalmist is asking God to teach and disciple them on a level path, one that keeps us away from our enemies, that allows our unlearned that allows us to unlearn our patterns of violence and death and false witness. The false things that, keep, that protect us need to be unlearned. Whiteness, patriarchy, heteronormativity. Yes, we need to let go of those things and assume the posture of the vulnerable and let God work in us. The final stanza is fitting for length. We await the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We await the Lord and are strong and courageous as we do. God gives us the courage and the strength to wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And for those that are paying attention, on Sundays we give up our fasts that we have for Lent. And we can take a break. As we journey in Lent, may the Lord be our light and our salvation, the stronghold of our lives. May God protect us, and may the church be a refuge for the vulnerable. That's the kind of place we want to be, but too often we haven't been. And I'll end with a story. This isn't my story, but you might hear my story one day. There's a sad irony in this psalm of David. David is asking God's, for God's protection from his enemies. And we're about to talk about sexual assault. So if that's something that will trigger you or hurt you, be aware of that. I'll give you a moment to turn off your screen or to mute it or walk away or to walk away from this room. Okay. David is asking for God's protection from his enemies when he when he harms someone the most vulnerable that he needed to protect David raped Bathsheba and killed Uriah David used God's enemies to kill Uriah and rape Bathsheba. He betrayed God. He brought shame upon his household and his family. He became a murderer and a rapist. And the reason he did was because he couldn't be vulnerable to his own needs. He didn't know how to do it. Horrifying. She did not have a choice. Don't let anybody tell you that. The man killed Uriah. Uriah. That's Sheba's husband. He should have been a protector and a safe person and instead he was the opposite. So I wonder when I read this psalm, well, who are David's enemies? Who does he think his enemies are? Maybe God will be with them. Maybe he thought his enemy was Absalom, the son that tried to kill him. His whole house fell apart because of this. He was cursed. This sordid story haunted me this week because we witnessed the results come forward of an investigation of an Anabaptist pastor who is part of our greater denomination and also in Jesus Collective, a group that we're part of. His name is Bruxy Cavey. I interviewed Bruxy last year. Bruxy had a sexual relationship with a woman he was counseling. She was 23, he was 46. It occurred for years. It was sexual abuse. He was much older. He was a man, an authority above her. He was her pastor, and he was her pastor counseling her. It was sexual abuse. And Bruxy resigned, was invited to, was encouraged to resign instead of being fired. And when Bruxy wrote his confession, he named it just as an extramarital affair. In other words, it would have been fine if he wasn't married. That's terrible. The church he used to work at calls it an abuse of power but stopped short of naming it a sexual abuse. Disappointing. The pastor resigned from that church in solidarity with the victim. I'll tell you more about the story if you're interested, but that's enough for now. We're naming it as sexual abuse. Our church needs to be better about accountability for, our church even needs to be better about accountability for abuse and reforming how we care for the most vulnerable. Circle of Hope is not an exception to this. And as we listen to the voices of our former staff, of our disabled people, of our racial and sexual minorities, we see the patterns of abuse and trauma that they've experienced and we need to repent of that. It's not okay, we're not exceptional. Maybe we haven't had a situation like Bruxy's, but we've had plenty of situations that need to be repented of. We're not better. God will protect us when we confess in our vulnerability, and if we can't confess because we're afraid, we don't trust God. Emotional, spiritual, psychological abuse are damaging and hurtful. And our leaders are, have committed them and are complicit in them, and so am I. We're trying to turn around and move into what God has next for us. We want to be a safe place, a refuge for the vulnerable, for the needy, for the lowly, and too often we've been the opposite. We want to assume their posture if we aren't them. We want to be a safe haven. We want to repent of the ways when we weren't. That's what should be happening when we read this psalm. That should be our Lent. We confess. We let go. We move we turn around I hope that the map we're writing leads us to that sort of repentance that sort of confession and we can turn around we can do the right thing we want to repent of when we weren't safe and we want to be a safe haven peace let's say a prayer and then do some talk back shall we Lord be with us forgive us Help us to enter into our vulnerability. Help us to move forward, take the right steps. Be with us, guide us, humble us. We're grateful for your, that there is no condemnation in Jesus. May that be an invitation to be humble and to repent. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect dropdown at sirgolthope.net.